I'm wearing my wired headphones today so that I can knock that lag down. Just whoa, an extra, you know, ten milliseconds or whatever. Oh, I bought two pair because I was like, I know Charlie's gonna get out these things. Literally, I left the fir- I left the pair, the first pair plugged in overnight. <laughs> Next morning, it's just it's just chewed in half. It's gone. It's just- <laughs> So I was like, I'm glad, glad I bought Charlie busts beer. out the scissors. She's like, it's it's time. Scotch. Hey, everybody. Welcome to episode 371 of Coffee with Butterscotch, the game dev comedy podcast of Butterscotch shenanigans. I'm Seth, and I'm the games programmer. I'm Adam, and I'm the tools programmer. I'm Sam, and I'm the artist. And this is a show where we talk about life, business, and working in the games industry. Today is July 8th. 2020 U. Before we get started, we have a, a warning. Anything could happen on this show, especially swear words. Yeah. There's going to be uh, let's see, uh, 29 of them. Yep. And they per will be person. the only words we use. So you said eighth. Is that eighth. Eighth. Is that? Yeah, that's that's that, that has to be the correct. I usually say I put a T, I put like a, uh, what do you call it? A palette. Palleted, whatever. I put a T. Like, eighth. Yeah, I say eighth. Hard T. Yeah. A hard T in there. And now I'm like, how do how does everybody else say it? I mean, that would only make sense if it was E-I-G-H-T-T-H. That's your point. Mm-hmm. You know, it's not eighth. It's eighth. That's true. And the G yeah. is, of course, silent. Or maybe it's not silent. We've been doing it wrong. I think the, the G-H causes. <laughs> I think the G-H uh, is a stand-in because it's not actually silent. It's pronounced as a T sound. That's why it's eighth. Oh, oh the G is a the, the G, G is, is, a a, is a it's a temporary yeah. T. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it wouldn't it just be eight, eight <laughs> at that point. Oh wait, no, it's E I two T's in a row. Wait, it's isn't it? It's E I G H G H T H. Yeah, yeah. So that first for that G H is a T sound. Oh, the first GH is a T sound. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What the fuck, English? <laughs> I got you. Get out of here. That makes sense. Uh, the what are we even doing? I don't know, man. I don't know. Who knows? We're know. just trying to get by. You know? We're just we're just hanging in there, man. Uh, <laughs> when our words are spelled this way, how could you stick anything to work out? How man? can we get anything done? Mm-hmm. I, I always have those moments where I'm programming and I... I have a variable name that'll be something like that. One of these words that's kind of spelled kind of weird, mm-hmm. you know. You see it too many times. And, yeah, yep. and then I, I, I type that word 20 or 30 times and I just keep looking at it all day. And eventually I just, it just turns inside out. Uh, and <laughs> uh-huh. I can't, I can't comprehend it anymore and it's over. There are some words out- that I still cannot, I always have to spell it the wrong way. One of those oh, is yeah. receive and another one is relevant. I always flip the E and the A on the. Back half of event. Rel of yeah, I, I, I still it's, can't it's, remember yeah, which way it goes. It's like electricity vent. Vant. You know, vant. That's the, yeah, it's a vant. It's a rel Because yeah, you say it as rel a vent, but it's actually rel a vant. You know, <laughs> English, God. Yes. I can spell relevant <laughs> if I if I don't think about how it's spelled. But as soon as somebody says, oh, how is this spelled? Then then I will start to flip it in my mind. Yeah, I thought it was R A L A V E I G H N T H G H T H. Ratified. Fucking fucking G H T H. Get out of here. Get out of here. Anyways, uh, we'd also like to thank our supporters over at moneygrab.bscotch.net. Uh, we've got a donation from Degeki who says. Uh, missed a few months, so here's a handful of monies to throw around. Just don't go Scrooge McDuck in it. That won't end well. Which is 
True. There's those scenes where Scrooge, you know, leaps into his mm-hmm. into his vault full of coins, and he just he just dives into it like a swimming Swim pool, in. as if as if a giant container just full of metal would somehow you know be behave like a ball like a and it looks like gold, which is you know particularly dense. Although it dense. is a soft metal, so maybe it's. Like jumping into pillows. The only thing we can infer <laughs> from this is that Scrooge McDuck is very hard, like yes. a diamond. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's probably those p- compacted feathers, like a penguin sort of situation. Yeah. So, yeah. relatively speaking, since gold yeah. is a soft metal and Scrooge McDuck is a hard duck, it's, yeah. <laughs> it's relatively soft. I think. Mm-hmm. You know, he's how he got so rich, you know, living that hard duck life. That's yeah, true. Uh, We'd also like to thank our re- recurring supporters as well. Thank you very much for uh, for the recurring donations. Uh, so, so today's episode is kind of weird because we had a five day we had a five day weekend. Is it a weekend at that? point? It's just a break at that. It's just point. a break. Yeah, summer break. Um, so we had our summer break over Fourth of July. Uh, don't need to go in into it, but you know we didn't really do a lot of celebrating of America this yeah. weekend. Not uh, but we did, but we did go on break. Um, so we did lots of stuff, and we we have basically a a nail or whiff episode where we're going to talk about some of the stuff that we did over break and whether that stuff nailed it or whiffed. Mm-hmm. Okay. And if you're newer so, to the podcast, the idea of the of the nail whiff spectrum is to say get 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 away from this whole. Let's put it on a hundred point scale where numbers between sixty and hundred are the only numbers we use, and they mean arbitrary, yeah. you know, whatever. And and also where what kind of stuff the reviewer likes is the most mm-hmm. important, actually. Because here we're talking about for what they were trying to do, did they nail it? Did they nail it? Or did they whiff it? Even if yeah. we don't like it, that's not actually mm-hmm. part of the so, puzzle. Yeah. So as as a, as kind of an example, you know, a lot of people are like talking about the new uh, the Diablo Immortal game. Is it good? Is it bad? Blah, blah, blah. What are the reviews for it? What I want to know is what were they trying to do and did they nail it? Yep. Right, they did. And what they it. were, and what they were trying to do was make a make a mobile version of Diablo where you have to spend tens of thousands of dollars in it to be competitive, <laughs> and where people and would they, do that. They fucking nailed it. Yep, yep. They, that's that's exactly what it is. Hundred percent. Right now, I personally hate that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> so I'm not gonna. But now that's a. Separate I'm not gonna question. play it. Yeah. So now it's. But they nailed but that. But you hate that. So yeah, it doesn't matter. It's great for what it is, but I hate it. Yep. So. Uh, does that mean it's good or bad? I don't know, it but I matter. hate it, yeah. right? So, yeah. so it doesn't matter because it's not the question. Well, if it's that's because you're you into, disliking you something doesn't convey the property of badness to that thing. doesn't mean Correct. that it's bad. The thing can be bad or good on its own, and then you can also hate it or love it. Because people love yeah. all kinds of horrible stuff too, you know? So mm-hmm. Yeah, like so, so, yeah. so in not today's fair. episode of Nail or Whiff, you know, we're just going to talk about some stuff that we've done or experienced or seen or whatever, um, what we think they were going for and whether they nailed it mm-hmm. or whether they whiffed it. Let's go. So uh, V Rising, uh-huh. I believe Adam has been playing V Rising. Yep. He played it over the break. My wife and I so have what is about it? 12 hours into it over the break. So uh, this this is an, it's an early access title on Steam only, I believe. Um mm-hmm. I think it came out a few months ago, so it's not it's been out for brand spanking new, but it's very new. Um, and it's uh, I just started seeing people talking about it constantly, which for most early access titles isn't what happens, right? Most of them just kind of it's silent Chill. at launch, and then the, and then that's it. 
And so every time you hear about an uh, early access title a lot, then it's probably worth investigating. And so poking around on what they were doing, I was like, oh, this actually looks like a complete game that they're early accessing for for unknown reasons, you know? So I was like, it's worth it's almost It's almost like a, uh, a very much a beta. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, really, yeah. It's not early, There's, early access. It's like, like the late content. Early right, access. it's like, yeah, right. It's like, <laughs> yeah, it's late access where... Yeah. The content that, that doesn't exist yet. So basically, all the stuff that they that they intend to have seems to be there, but it looks like late game content is still yeah, going to be coming out. More. Basically, yeah. Right. Uh, so it's basically a uh, it's a it's a survival crafting game where you play as a vampire and you're basically hunting creatures and humans, right? And the gist of the very light story is that for the longest time, humans won the humans won the war against the vampires or whatever. For hundreds of years, you've been locked in your coffin or whatever. And but for some reason, you're suddenly awake again, and now it's time to get the world back, right? So you can play PvP or or PVE, play versus environment. Uh, so you can do it co-op or you can do it aggro. And so when you're, if you're playing it aggressively, then it's basically like arc or mm. any of these other kinds of games because you build a castle and other players can basically steal your castle and steal your shit. And so... Typical. Yeah, your different, like, vampire factions are basically now trying to, like, dominate this land, fighting each other while also taking over the land from, like, the people and stuff. The, and, if and, only they could work together, you know. If only. Their, their yeah. lives would be so much easier. Yeah, so I can't really speak to the PvP stuff because I don't like that kind of stuff. And uh, my wife and I were playing co-op together. I'm just on a, our own private server. And so I can speak to that experience, which felt a lot like basically playing something like Ark or Valheim. Um, but it's but the, the thing that they've changed so that's like really different is that the combat is a lot more interesting than those games because like an Ark, you're just trying not to die. You're not really, I wouldn't call it combat. You're just like, I've got a weapon and I'm hoping I don't get killed by this T-Rex before yeah, I manage to You don't have a lot it, of right? tools, right? You're just sort of yeah. like- Here's a pointy object and go, you know, either yeah. you die or it dies. And that's kind of the extent of right. it. Right. And, and it feels like the combat is about survival still, not about combat, right? Right, right. And Volheim has, does have some combat. It's very, it's still just like you're just swinging swords and things and that's it, right? And so, um, so if rising brings the combat more into like the Diablo kind of camp where you've got spells that you're casting, you can like transmog and turn yourself into things. You got more in, more interesting interaction points and you get these like vampire skills where you can basically charm somebody and they become your follower, right? Fine. Or you can you can turn yourself into a mouse so you can like run around and nobody will notice that you're there. Um, <laughs> and like and kind of so they, they have a lot more interesting ways of interacting with the world and then it's also a top-down game. So it's 3D it's a 3D game, 3D models and everything but it's top-down view. So you're not seeing the horizon. You're just mm. seeing down. But you can freely rotate the camera and, and pan it up and down a little bit. And so combat mm. is in this really complicated, difficult thing of like moving the camera around so you can see stuff and and then basically like triggering spells and attacks and stuff. And so then you just have these like long series of boss fights, basically. Just like tons of little boss fights all over the place as you're behind the scenes, craft, doing your kind of your standard crafting stuff. Uh, and are the bosses totally unique, uh, like, you know, for model, model, like the bosses kit, or are they are, largely like the same models, slightly different, and then just like elevated attacks of existence? Yeah, there are a few, so there aren't that many, there's not a, a wide variation in, in stuff, but it's enough that it feels like there's a lot. Mm -hmm. um, and I think, I think what, what V-Rising did particularly well is 
is it's not that there's a small amount of stuff. There really is a, a healthy amount of stuff, but it's not as much as you would think there would need to be. And they've managed to make it like really stretch it, really work, like really stretch it because of how they've distributed things and how they kind of have you move through the nice. world. Um, and so, the, so some of the bosses, a, a few of the bosses are basically just bigger versions of stuff you otherwise see, but most of them are just like unique character models that are, have their own thing going on. Um, and, and the, the fights are pretty easy to figure out, but they're still very challenging because it's all about like positioning and trying not to get hit by things that just like really fuck you up. And normally I'm not that into that kind of stuff. I don't, I, I like, I like stuff that's fairly just kind of casual and slow paced and where combat is like just interesting enough, but not really a big deal, you know? Uh, but it turned out to be super fun to just like try these fights. And I think it's because they made every single aspect of the gameplay feel interesting where it mattered. And so you can't go out, so you can go out during the day. And I think, so they, the cool thing they did is they made it so that all of the rules, right? The rules of the mechanics are kind of opt in. So it's like they, they, they give you punishments that feel like they make sense and feel fair for not doing the stuff you're supposed to do. Right. But they don't just stop you. So it's not that like, mm -hmm. Oh, it's daybreak. So now you're dead or now it's daybreak. So now you get teleported back to your base or whatever. Instead it's, Oh, the sun's coming up. So if you're not, inside your castle where you're now covered from the sun, then you need to, you can come back home if you want to, you can keep on exploring if you want to, but while doing it, you sure as shit better stay out of the sun. You're staying in the shade as you mm. move. Right. And it's forgiving enough that you get like just a oh. tiny touch of shade. Like, so, so as noon comes up, all the shadows are short. Right. So like you're experiencing this conflict right. as you're trying to move through the world. Oh, that's cool. And, but that also has interesting interactions everywhere else because now when you're out trying to harvest stuff, because trees are what give you the most shade from the sun, right? But if you chop them down. But if you chop all the trees it. down, then ne the next time Dave comes, you're like, oh, shit, I can't actually get through this area now. And so this That's interesting thing happens where, like, you need fuckloads of resource. You need, like, fuckloads of wood. But I always find myself hesitant about cutting down trees, right? Because mm, it actually means it's a choice that you got to make. Because Yeah, this, I think this yeah. is one of the things we talk about, like, with crash lands and the crafting is, like, how do you make it feel like something besides just, oh, I'm just literally mowing down plants? Mm -hmm. Like, that's... I'm just fucking harvesting every... I'm just destroying this ecosystem, right? How do you make it feel like you're not doing that? And that's the cool thing about this mechanic and how they tie these together, which I don't even know if it's just if it was, if it is intentional because I think they were just trying to make a cool mechanic about daytime, right? It may, it may have been... Because uh, one of the things you want to solve for, especially in a top-down context, uh, games that are from the side or that are more basically more like 3D platforming stuff, if they're in the survival genre, uh, traversal is more interesting in those contexts because you have to like... Yeah. You essentially have to jump. You're basically platforming, right? You jump around stuff uh, or build your way to certain points. And so probably what they're just trying to answer the question is a similar thing we've done with with, uh, with questions too. It's just how do you make it, make it so that wandering around is interesting. has some texture to it? Yeah. I think yeah. it's cool that they solved it in like a, a phased way where it's like at you know, certain times of day, it's you're just walking around. But there's this whole different shift. You know, you get that danger feel, but during the daytime, yeah. which is sort of a fun. Well, and this, and this core action, this like core of interaction with the game is like chopping down trees has other consequences besides just yeah. there's not a tree there now, right? But it actually has this new, and also because combat can be blocked by trees and stuff too, right? So, but also your view is blocked. So even though you can see like top down, they kind of cast this like shadowy looking uh, effect in, in, in sort of a cone. Like, so if you're like, if you're on one side of a rock, it'll kind of like cast a thing oh, to nice. the other side to show you the space that you can't see anymore, right? And so you can like- That's a good tension building mechanic. Yeah, so yeah. even though even though you could technically, like you sh would be able to see it from where the camera is, they hide it from you. So you're not exactly sure what's going on there. And then like that coupled with how they, because they have a road system that, that you're mostly traversing on, but that's also where the NPCs like do their patrols, you know? 
and there's like there's like vampire hunter characters that will really fuck your shit up uh, and so like mm-hmm. so you'll be like you'll just be having a happy jaunt you know as you're going somewhere <laughs> running around as a wolf or whatever right and uh, and then because you can't you have that limited view of how far you can see like all of a sudden you just like, like stumble into you some just shit. like stumble yeah. into something right and and as you go through the game they make these like these things more and more interesting more difficult so that you have these like so we're, we've now gotten to the this like northern part which is like 12 hours in and it's already it's still kind of growing in scope and uh, and now all of a sudden there's different kinds of characters in these like little villages where there's like a, a torchbearer and a town crier and like it's so, like if the town crier sees you he starts ringing a bell and that summons yeah, she more guys thing, right yeah. yep. <laughs> so and they and they did it in a way where where they sort of embrace the fact that it's a game so they can do this so so like some of the bosses will summon characters and they're just like yeah. sometimes they're armies of the dead sometimes they're just regular people but it just pulls them out of the ground. They just like mm-hmm. appear, right? They like, or they they come into existence, and the game doesn't try to give you a reason why that happened, so that they can then have like the town crier start going, and now characters can spawn <laughs> without having to like run out from the outside of the world, you know? Yeah, yeah. Um, so the, yeah, the whole thing is really it's cleverly done, and they've made it so that you get that open world effect um, with still a very strong sense of like progression and like working through crafting tiers. While having like all these like boss fights and things, but you never get stuck because they've set it up in such a way that even if you can't like get past a certain thing that's a gate to like the next tier of items or something, there's still a whole bunch of stuff to do. And it's actually designed with basically with the assumption that a lot of what you'll be doing, like as you work through that linear progression part, is spend a lot of time because they, they basically they didn't unlock they didn't lock everything behind that. Yep, they so just locked some like, key points, right? A lot. Yeah. So you're moving laterally, but also you're still moving like up a lot. But n- but now it doesn't feel like you have to. If that mm-hmm. right. Mm-hmm. So the whole way they did all of the 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 mechanisms of what they block when, what they give you access to, and they mostly like the even the bosses and stuff. They they have a, a this blood altar you can build that you can then use to choose a boss and like it, it now makes a marker on your screen that kind of points in that general direction, so you can like mm-hmm. find it right. But you don't have to have that to find the bosses. They're just there, right. so you can still go. But what that blood altar does is it shows you here are the bosses that are within reach of your level. That mm. doesn't mean easy because like it goes you know a little beyond where you are. And it only shows you those at a time. It gives you like a little summary info of what they are, right? And then you can go out and so you can just decide. And it shows you what they unlock, so you know what you're gonna get. Nice. And so then you have this like cool kind of thing where you're like, oh, like we really need to unlock our iron tier, and like we gotta kill this guy to do it though. And so now you're like, so you like your blood, you your blood center. Yep. You start like trying to find, but then you don't know exactly because you just know where it's the direction. So then you're like looking at the map, and the map's always present because it kind of makes me think of like Monster Hunter. Don't, I never played Monster some, Hunter, but that yeah, my, they've got like a mechanism guide like beetles that. that kind of take you to. Mm, yeah, exactly yeah, yeah they're location. like they're like little sparkly bugs that kind of like. There's a pretty direct like, though. There's this like very much pathing you through the woods specifically to get right. to the place. Mm, see, yeah. This is essentially right. saying like it's over this just that. Gives, it gives you an error just, basically. Yeah. 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 Right. Yeah. Deal with it. And right. so, and and, it, and the, tra- and the train is hard to traverse because it's, there's a lot of verticality to it. There's a lot of like giant things you can't work past. And so you have to be moving around things quite a bit. <laughs> yeah. And then if daylight, and, yeah, it, and it's, it takes like the, the bouncing is not really well. So it takes long enough that if you're looking for a boss, there's a really good chance that by the time you get there the, for the, fir- the first time in space you haven't explored yet, Too late. it's like closing in on daytime. And then now you have to decide, do we try to get back home? Do we wait it out? Do we keep trying to make our way there? Is the, it like, and then you don't even know if a given fight is going to be in the shade or not because some fights are in the shade and some are not, right? 
And so then you'll have these other scenarios where you like get into a fight and it's hard and it takes a long time. And you're like, you started, you had to get there first. And so like only two thirds of your night is left. And then you start going. And then like in my case, like I died and my wife was still alive. So she has to do more kiting now. So it's just taking a little longer. Right. And then suddenly daybreak comes and we're like, and then, and they're like, oh no. And then like the, all of a sudden there's just the whole arena is in sun, except underneath these awnings, right. That are small. But so much of the game and fights are about positioning. And so now she's like trying to run under these awnings yeah. and stay there, but then it's still good. fight, you know? So yeah, it's like, very good. It's all very interesting. Um, so I would give it a solid nailed it. Mm-hmm. Uh, and I think the way that they let you approach, you can approach the game in so many ways um, because you can also put it on an easier mode if you don't want to have like the hard combat stuff. And so I think playing co-op with another person in particular, I think, I think playing it by yourself, like most of these games, I think, the absence of there being like a story um, right. makes it so that wearing you down after. I yeah, think. I think you. I think you need another person to like really enjoy it and get into. It. Especially for me, I know like if I fight a boss a few times and I just can't beat it, I'm by myself. Yeah. I'm like fuck this, you know. So You're uh, like, eh, whatever. Yeah. Moving on. Yeah. <laughs> so I think that helps. And, and and then PvP, of course, if that's your thing, like and, and you like the arc style, really intense PvP um, on always online servers, right where. Your body's right. just still there when you leave, and you better hope your castle's strongly defended and somebody else is there to defend it. You know, if you're into that kind of stuff, it does. It seems to do that really well. Cool. Uh, but if you're not, the PVE is great. Um, yeah, it's super fun. So okay. n- nailed it in my opinion. V Rising nailed it. Yep. Be a vampire. Go do stuff. Go um, on a rampage. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yep. Well, actually, actually, one of the key the key mechanics which I didn't even mention, which is, but it's very fun conceptually. Because that has to be blood focused, right? So you have this like little blood meter in the middle that you use basically to to manage some of your vampire skills. For the most part, like things don't need it, but there are a few of your skills. Like you can convert that pool. Is into the blood health, meter right? your own blood? No, or that's separate. But you like, can convert it, so you can like use it up. But uh, okay. the cool thing they did though is they made it that there are different kinds of blood depending on the creature it comes from, right? So, so like there's creature blood that comes from like wolves and bears and stuff, and then different kinds of people. So like a warrior or a rogue or a worker or whatever have that different class of blood. And they also have a different quality of blood between zero and a hundred percent. And so the quality of the blood that you get, and like you can see, like if you hover your mouse over an enemy as you're like exploring or fighting or whatever, it'll show you the blood type and the percent of quality. Mm-hmm. Right. And so then, so then part of like a mini, a little mini game within this becomes like trying to get the best blood and try and decide when, right? Yeah, because yeah, yeah. especially as you're using your blood up, if you got like really good, because like we found 100% rogue blood once. And like, so Ooh, then you're like eking that stuff. out to the last, you're like almost <laughs> have none left, but you want to hold on to every last drop, you know? And so now you're risking death to like, to hold on to it. Because they give now, you these like huge perks that as you move to the higher mm-hmm. qualities, the perks, depending on the type heavier. and the and the quality, keep on going up until they, like you get some pretty... It's like, it's like you get like a 15% boost to crit, like, like, and like 15% movement speed, like these really huge boosts that you get depending on, on who's right. blood. You, you, got, got, you right. have to take advantage of it opportunistically, like a vampire, you know, yep. whatever comes and, along. Okay. And, it, and it always comes at a cost because you got to go into, because you always got to fight because you got to, you have to knock them down to a certain level of health before you can feed on their them, blood. Right? Yeah. So it's, it's like every, now, everything is okay, a little okay, Hold on. It's, now, it's good. Is there horseshoe crab blood? Because I feel like if you're going to make a game, if you're going to make a game where there's like qualities of blood, you know, and then you leave out horseshoe crabs. That's true. Who have this insane blue blood. Copper base, not iron base, right? And it has like 
various uh, medicinal qualities to it, and it's used for all kinds of medical research. Yeah, there's like factories right? that are hooked up to like tons of horseshoe crabs and draining their blood because it turns out we're basically yeah. vampires to them. Yeah, yeah, it's messed up. But the fact is, like as humans, we even recognize the power of horseshoe crab blood. Yep. Yeah. And then you're telling me you're going to go make a game about vampires where there's like different levels of blood and horseshoe crabs aren't even in the conversation. Yeah, I think like they they, did. What was all this for? They did more <laughs> research on vampires than on blood, I think. You know well, I mean? someone, okay. uh, yeah, if anybody knows those devs, you know. Well, it is early access. Knows. It is early yeah, access. So we can get our requested. Get some crab yeah. blood. Even if it's Open just crabs, a, I don't care. We need like, a petition, yeah, because I feel like if you, man, if you blood. snack on a, if you, if you're a vampire and you snack on a horseshoe crab, oh, I think you literally, you literally mm-hmm. can die for like yep. ten minutes, probably. Uh, so, yeah. yeah. If anybody knows those devs, you know, put in, put in a word. There's a lot yeah. of horseshoe crabs that are that are well, having and they a real do bad have, day. They do <laughs> have make a lot of nothing, like, uh, you know? like little stuff that's just there because it's interesting, you know. So like that seems like because like one of the other things that they do is if you pick up silver coins. They just start to burn you. So you got like, if you pick it up, it's in your inventory. And you got to get it back out of your inventory so it stops burning you, you know? And so, like, I don't even know if you can use them for, I don't know if there's some other thing where it, if you can somehow get silver coins, you can do something right. with them. I have no idea. But, uh, but with like something like this where there's like, oh, if you get a horseshoe crab, then X, right? Like, there's enough of these little discoveries that it just feels like there's a lot of just stuff. Go back going to, on. Yeah. But we've been talking about with Crash Lights too, and where we're, where we're putting the thing, which is that the, the reality is that you you build a large basic suite of interactions, large like mainly so that you can violate all the rules you just made, right? Mm-hmm. In a billion interesting little ways, uh, and it just starts. It just makes things so fun, you know. Yeah, when well, it's suddenly on fire, like what the fuck? Yeah, it's an experience I haven't had before that I can remember of of having my inventory feel like it was like a, a part of the game besides just a thing you put stuff in, you know? Yeah. And this is the only dimension along which that happens is like, because there are like like in Diablo and stuff, right? Like you can have charms and stuff in your inventory and those convey something, right? But I've never had something that felt like it was interacting with me or like where suddenly I'm being, like my character is being burnt, right? And it's coming from (laughs) like my pockets. Yeah. So it's kind of a, it was a fun, unexpected little twist on the the normal process. But yeah, so so Mm. nailed it. Uh, Might not be for you, but they definitely accomplished what they were trying to accomplish and I think better than most when it comes to these nice. kinds of games. Okay. Well, let's talk about Hench, the yeah. book mm-hmm. on the nail whiff spectrum. Sam, you read Hench over the break, right? I did. So this was a recommendation from uh, Adam pre- prior to break um, and turned out to be fantastic. So I'll say Hench nails it. What is yeah, it? I also it's reread a, during the break. Yeah, it's a, uh, it's an, basically a villain origin story but set in a universe where there's villains and heroes all over the place and uh, kind of like the boys on Amazon. If it's a lot show. like the boys. Yep. Yeah. It's sort of the, the anti hero movement that gets started as people start kind of doing, the, doing the math basically on actually how much damage these heroes are causing and how sort of flagrantly they just kind of don't give a fuck about people. So it's very much in the vein of the, of the boys. And also in terms of, how weird or gross it gets, it also gets pretty gross at the end in terms of uh-huh. things that happen. So uh, if you're okay with, you know, some of that gross violence, basically. Some uh, body horror. Some body horror, yeah. A lot of uh, gore. But largely just, it's a very, it's just a very fun story. So I would, I would highly recommend. Nailed yeah. it. Nailed it. Yeah, Nailed short, it. It's, it's one of my favorite novels. It's like, it's like right up on, at the top of that list. It's good. All right, now I'm gonna ta- I'm gonna talk about Crashlands Two. <gasps> what? Nail, Nail or whiff? 
So uh, we did a playthrough over the break, um, which, so this is kind of weird because historically our mech or like our mechanism by which we would develop the game is like, I'm the game programmer. So I, you know, I, I implement the stuff into the game and like Sam and I are co-designing stuff and we rope in other members of the team from time to time for feedback on things. So Adam gets involved in those times, stuff like that. And we would have these like routine playthroughs where we would then, you know, figure out what we want to work on and then iterate on that stuff. Um, but now that we have the game changer, things have changed. The game has changed. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what happens instead is is now, you know, Sam is able to add all kinds of stuff to the game without me knowing about it or seeing it just ever at all. Uh, and so the need to have those, those constant playthroughs and check-ins to figure out what I need to be doing next to mm-hmm. add stuff to the game, those aren't necessary anymore. Things can just go into the game at any time, right? And so so I haven't done a playthrough of the game in quite some time. And Sam has been kind of feeling weird because he's been working on it, uh, kind of doing his own thing, but without a lot of collaborative feedback about the things that he's been adding. And it's all it's all been stuff that we have at some point kind of discussed or agreed upon in the past. Yeah, I'm not just going rogue. It's very much like it's not, every, it's not yeah. just doing random <laughs> stuff. <laughs> everything is um, everything has been at some point run through basically a conceptual phase and like kind of a details phase that we're has been agreed upon before I go plug it in. It's just that it like somehow just sort of shows up sometimes now uh in its in like a fully baked or almost fully baked form where it says something yeah. just like well, you know. Yeah. So I did I did the the playthrough. Um, so what we don't have in the game is, is any kind of like a, a story or questing system yet. Um, and so that was kind of the, the big sore spot where basically like, you know, S- Sam basically had to say to me like, okay, just pretend like, <laughs> just pretend like something in the game has directed you to like acquire these three things. Right. Um, and so like, I can kind of see vaguely on my map where those things are and my, my quote, my mission, my goal, right. Is to go get those things. And so that kind of served as the impetus for me to go out into the world and start exploring, finding these different characters, which, uh, are artisans who can craft stuff and do research for you. Um, I started building a base, started fighting all kinds of creatures and at the, at the beginning, um, it it had like the vibe of Crashlands, just in terms of like the art style and and all that stuff. But it still felt pretty generic survivally, because without all the goofy text and the story stuff, um, it's the just first about every twenty minutes of basically most survival games are the same, right? You they kind of start out the same. <laughs> yeah, it's like oh yeah, you've got like one tool and you can craft like one or two things. Go slap a rock, you know. Yeah. And your goals are very, you know, constrained. Um, but over time, it started opening up and a lot of really interesting things started happening that I had no idea were, you know, going to be there. Um, a couple of fun things were that that we have these creatures out in the world um, and they can interact with each other and it can interact with things in the environment and stuff like that. And so there's these little scuddly creatures that like... <laughs> That zap and electrocute things. It's like a honey like, badger they, with electricity, basically. It's called an yeah, and it kind of, it kind of, they, they kind of move in packs a lot of the time. Um, and then on the flip side, there's these kind of like dumb 
creatures that just like kind of, they're kind of squishy and they kind of hop around and they just kind of like graze on things in the environment. So they just like eat these trees and stuff like that. Um, so one hilarious thing that happened was as I was running around, I, I got set upon by a group of these electric ampibaras and just, I just got absolutely wrecked. Okay. So, so I'm kind of, I'm kind of terrified of these things. And I'm like, I have, I have no idea how to fight these because I'm just getting absolutely one shot by them. I know I can fight the kind of dumb derpy slugabuns, the, uh, the, the grazers. grazers, right? But I have no idea how to fight these, uh, these ampibaras. So, so as I'm running around, I start exploring a new area and then I, I come across a single ampibara just off on its own. And it starts, it starts chasing after me and zapping and doing all kinds of electric stuff. And I'm, I'm kind of having a hard time outrunning it. Okay. So as I'm running, I come across a slug bun and I'm like, maybe I can, maybe I can get them to fight each other. Right. And, uh, and then I can, har- basically, I can basically, <laughs> I can basically harvest this slug bun's parts, uh, without fighting the slug bun. But like, since I have the ampibar chasing me, I might as well try to use it. Right. And it worked great. So I was like, okay, let's see how far we can take this. And so I keep running and then I find a group of three slug buns and I just, I bring that amp and bar in there. It's chasing me still, you know, but I get it to accidentally hit one of the slug buns and then they all set upon it and, and, and it takes some damage, but it takes out all three of them. And I'm like, oh my God, yes. And so, <laughs> so I just kind of am like running and juking my way through the world being chased by this electric little scuttling beast. Um <laughs> And I'm just like mowing down groups of slug butts <laughs> without ever like swinging a weapon, you know, myself, um, which was like a super cool kind of interactive thing um, that like that kind of thing just never existed in the original game. And that, that was kind of like that. a Very good. I was going to say that there's kind of a, a unique experience that like that's the kind of thing that never could have happened in the original game because we just didn't have that level of, you know interactability between the creatures and, and stuff like that. Yeah. Um, yeah. I think for me, for me, we want to support basically player stories, right. In this context, like just things that can happen. And then where you can feel like you're getting a one up on the game in some ways, right. Where you're like, well, I mean, I could just, I could just train this ampibar. It's not my pet, but like technically if it's attacking me, I can sort of, if I'm, if I'm swift enough, I can use it right against other things. But that's a big if, because the funniest part was I managed to do this for like three or four minutes or so. Uh, and then misstepped and just got fucking skylasted. Right? <laughs> um, and so it's one of those like it's a it's a fun little thing that um, because we're sort of planning for it, you know the original game was uh, basically had to be so simplified. We did have a, a creature combat situation very early on. We introduced I think the third uh, creature back in Crashlands original development yeah, where they could kind of accidentally hurt each other yeah. or whatever. But what we found is that just due to essentially the whole rest of the design of that game that it, it that one in particular kind of trivialized it didn't make things more interesting it just made it so it was always the case that you sort of wanted to get these things to fight each other and there wasn't too much of a concern because they also wouldn't just kill you outright there wasn't that big of a power imbalance um and so with how we've tuned things and just the rest of the stack of the designs we're able to do things now that we just couldn't actually pull off that then create these little fun you know moments that you you as a designer you plan for them on like a high level a goal but you can't actually make them happen specifically because the whole points are supposed to just show up emergent, right? Uh, so it was really fun to see. Yeah, and then something else that is kind of cool is like we have we have these mechanisms by which the the creatures can have all kinds of different ways of of just passively interacting with stuff in the environment. <laughs> um, and so 
So for the slugabuns, you know, they go around and they, they graze on like trees and shrubs and stuff. Um, but every now and then, kind of rarely. So we have these, these um, kinds of like mushroom things called, called explunkus. And they just, if, if they take any damage, then they kind of inflate like a balloon and then they explode pretty quickly. It just, just explode. And if there's multiple explungus nearby, then one explungus explosion will set off the nearby explungus and you can, you know, end up with this kind of chain reaction of destruction. And um, the slugabuns are generally like, you know, they're pretty good about respecting the explungus. But every now and then one of them gets curious and will go nibble on one. (laughs) Which then, of course, causes it to explode, and then the slugabun can either become injured or just be, you know, straight up annihilated, depending on whether there's other explosives around or whatnot. So, there, there, were, oh, there were a couple of occasions in my playthrough where I was just running past a slugabun, and it was minding its own business, and I was minding my own business, but I didn't realize that it had like it was Got about to. Eyes on a- over it was about to chomp on an explungus, and the explungus was also in my path. You know, so I'm just like casually strolling along, and then suddenly I realize <laughs> I'm in, I'm in like an explosion radius, and I have to quickly juke out of the way, and then the slugabun gets just blasted off. The face. <laughs> so, yeah, so, so it's yeah, yeah. it's really weird. Uh, you know, on the to Seth's point about the change in dev here, which is that previously it was the case because Seth was implementing everything like uh, once basically once it was like designed and all the art was done and then we would sit together and basically implement it and that would be another you know four or five hours kind of like plonking away and so there was that combined touch on most of these things and so I didn't necessarily feel like I was much adrift typically and so yeah for the since the game changer has been introduced we've I mean we've like tripled the amount of content in the game um, in very short order basically and changed a lot of actually that was kind of the meta level design of the thing too um, and so I, I was definitely just starting to feel like Am I? Is this good? Is this good? Is this Am I off my fucking rocker? Like I hope this yeah. is correct. Uh, I'm so never with it. So, yeah. so in terms of the the gameplay and like the world interactions and the exploration and stuff, I think it's nailing it. Good, but oh no, <laughs> there's a huge there's a huge whiff when it comes to uh, the interface, mm. um, because the game is really complex. It's not like the original game where you just have your crafting station and like pretty much you spend your time looking at one crafting station and you have several others, but almost all of your time at an even point is just in one crafting yeah. station, right? They're very tiered. Well, so you hit your next one and then you kind of just ignore the rest of them that you have. Yeah. Yeah. In the original game, you built your next crafting station and then that's just where you operate. Well, in Crashlands 2, there's a lot more interconnected kinds of kinds of systems so there are there are different artisans that can craft different things, but they they're persistent. So it's not like it's not like at some point you're just done with this artisan and you move on to the next artisan. You you actually have them both, or all three of them, or however many there are, and they are relevant throughout throughout the gameplay. And some of them will have recipes or things that you that you need to craft that are interdependent. So, you know, you'll need to like craft something at one artisan and then bring that to another artisan and craft a thing there and then go to a third artisan and then use that stuff to do research to unlock a thing at the first one, right? So so it's like just there's a lot of these interdependencies, but trying to keep all of that in my brain all at once and remember what I would like the path that I was going, the path of dependencies that I'm going down, 
um, while flipping between these, you guys like talk to one artisan, go talk to another one, talk to another one. Um, it, the cognitive load was hot, was very high. Mm-hmm. Right. And so, um, so it, it sucks because the, the stuff that's going on behind the scenes is really cool and interesting and complex, but the way that we've presented it is complicated. Yes. Mm-hmm. Right. And what we want is now to basically look at that and say, okay, we need a simple way for the player to engage with this complex system so that they can gain all the benefits of having lots of interesting interconnected decisions to make, but without the cost of having to remember a million things at the same time. Yeah. So right. Adam, to your, to your point about that blood altar thing in V Rising, which is basically just a big, it's a big list that then gives you priority items, right? It's almost like, but we currently have a crash lands compared to that. It's essentially like if you were to split out, you know, that whole list, split it into like a bunch of different pieces and scatter those to a couple of different entry points as far as like you pop up a new eye and you're like, okay, I want to kill that thing because it gives me this. And then I need that for this other thing. So you just kind of start doing this like really yeah. challenging. Well, I think maps. most, like really actually all crafting games I've ever played suffer from You'll have some of this, yeah, for sure. Yeah, and how much they suffer depends on a lot of the details. But uh, but I'm starting to feel the same thing now in in because V Rising actually has a small number of kinds of workstations, right? But it's still like you know six or something like that that you build up over time, and then they can be upgraded and and all of that. And so, and you do still have to like if you if there's something you want to make, something you want to get, you still have to know okay which of the where to stations to, and sometimes it's obvious because there's like a grinder and it's like okay well I want to make bone dust so I'm gonna put bones in the like that makes sense right mm-hmm. but sometimes it's like oh I need to make uh, like a stick of dynamite right yeah it's like oh, so okay can, yeah so which of these maps and so there there are a few <laughs> items that like my wife and I as we were playing were just like we could never fucking remember which one of the stations the certain thing we had to go to to get the thing. But then also because some of the more like interesting stuff, like your higher higher tier pieces of armor and that kind of stuff, require component a whole bunch of components, right? That are all like hard hard to make. They require a lot of grinding or fighting rare things or whatever. But then you're like, okay, now where where do where did I put those things? Like, in what chests will I find the ones I already have, and in yep. what stations yep. do I go to to make the other parts? So that yep. a lot of what you end up doing is just be like, oh fuck, I forgot what was the third thing in this list. Yeah, which you is know, too bad, right? Because the whole thing is like, so you're you're gonna have some degree of this. Like you said, as as you get a, a basically a complex game that has a lot of breadth, mm-hmm. you're, you typically you'll run into this at some point. But it's it is frustrating that it starts happening usually at the point where you have like the most variety and cool stuff going on. You start losing mm-hmm. like the capacity to actually engage with it in a way that's very very fun, as opposed yeah, to yeah. that capacity staying this constant. Yeah, I think it's a core it. failure point in because like for for me my, from my own experience playing because I, I love crafting games, but. The main thing that kicks me out of every crafting game I've ever played is at some point inventory management and the cognitive load of trying to figure out how and where to do things just gets so high that I mm-hmm. hate coming back to my base after adventuring. Cause like you get to, cause like also as these games open up, cause you always have a limited inventory, right? And as the game gets more interesting, they part of what they do to make that more interesting is having more kinds of stuff. But if you have more kinds yep. of stuff, you have your inventory fills up faster, right? Because you you become able to harvest more things that you couldn't before. It's like you just keep on being able to to get more and more different stuff. It's like so part of how V Rising held this at bay for a while is by not having a weight limit on and Mm -hmm. having a pretty healthy size of an inventory. 
but now it's 12 really hours in, it's at the care. point where now, yeah, now if you go out on a, on an overnight run, you're just like harvesting stuff and killing things and doing normal stuff. Now, now you're not deciding like, oh, like I made it this far. Do I come back home to like recoup and make some potions or whatever before I go do this boss fight? But you're not like, well, if I fight this boss, I won't have any inventory space to put the loot in. <laughs> yeah. So I guess I have to go home now, right? Or and, start throwing inventory up. Yeah. And to be clear, like this, this, this can be a, a fun, like this whole element can be very fun in terms of like uh, basically management of inventory or making these choices about kind of what you're doing. But the, the game context matters a ton because if you're, if you're trying to get a lot of tension going, so you got your Resident Evil stuff like that, where like you have a limited backpack and you can only fit like certain like a certain number of things, and that matches perfectly with like the tenor of what's happening. You know, what I mean, you got to mm-hmm. really make some hard choices as you're carrying like a big thing that's you know, rocket launcher or some shit uh, versus a bunch of you know medicinal herbs to heal yourself or something. Yeah, well, that's the so, thing about crafting games is that is that those limits are diametrically opposed to the point, right? And that's always yeah. that and. and it can still be made more or less interesting in, in a crafting game context, but you're right that like in other contexts where things are just really limited in general because that's part of the game. It's not a crafting game. There's not a fuckload of kinds of things, right? Yeah. Then inventory management can be an can, interesting, can be interesting game. Yeah. It can be an mechanic ad, for sure. Yeah, but in a crafting game, it's always always a shitty experience that just gets shittier. Mm-hmm. And I think like it's in original Crashlands, that's that was one of the things that we tried to solve by having your unlimited inventory that just sorts itself and all that kind of stuff, right? And I think that that was very helpful. But and I think so it seems like V Rising, where V Rising gives you reasons to come home because the sun will kill you, right? <laughs> right. Because right? like, part, part of the discussion we've always had is like, well, if we take away all of inventory limits, right, so that you can just go out and, and like adventure forever, then what's the incentive to go home? How do we make that part of like the interesting game loop, right? And that's what I think is like so cool about what V Rising did is that they still have those limits, but they don't need to because they could take them away now. And it would be still really interesting because yeah, you the still primary have a decision, yeah, you have a cadence still. And you like mm-hmm. you still want to build your castle because the castle building is interesting and fun. And like as you build new stuff, it unlocks new things. And you can like build a coffin that you can put a servant into, right? You like charm <laughs> a person, put them into a servant coffin, and they convert them into a servant over after like an hour or whatever. And so they have all these like interesting things you can do in your castle, right? Yeah. And so that becomes like the dry, and that's also where all your crafting stuff is. So like that yeah, becomes running out of space reason. is just not. It's not fun. It's not fun most of the time. Yeah. Well, yeah, it's you want it to be the case that that the player goes back to their home base because they want to, because they have some yeah. next thing that they want to do there, versus. Despite having things that they want to keep doing out in the world, mm-hmm. it would be pointless to do those things unless they go back and basically do some administrative work. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Right. It's like there's also there's uh, other really fun ways to apply some pressure, which we haven't we haven't experienced experimented yet. Um, as far as like death mechanics in, in Crash Lands too, it's currently just you just show back up, you don't lose anything, etc. Yeah, just reappear back home. Man. Yeah. But this is one of the things I want to experiment with on that side of things too, because you can also basically add a essentially what is a constantly building positive pressure to return home by doing something mm-hmm. like if you die then we, then like say you just nuke some portion of a person's held inventory which is the benefit of having mm-hmm. an entire infinite inventory the idea is like a you know it costs you a, a suite of the things you've been picking up yeah if you drop all of it and then permanently lose some of it that would be because that's a good example of like because in, in v rising you drop your loot so you still have to go back mm. and get it which then because that, that's something that, that normally I think of as being pretty sucky, but in the right context, it can be good because now like, well, where do you die and drop your loot? It's like always when you're at the edge of a challenge, right? So like yep. now a new story comes into play, which is you trying to get back to your body to get your loot, right? Which is then interesting again. 
And so, so if you, if you do like say what you're saying, where you still have your inventory that you carry with you, because in OG Crashlands, the inventory was just an inventory, right? Like it was universal. It wasn't, you didn't like dump stuff into it. Uh, like it's just an infinite inventory, which means it's it, just it operates like a stack of you know, coins or something like that. So yeah. Yeah. If you die, yeah, having you a system where, yeah, but you're having a system where you actually have an inventory on you. That's also infinite, mm-hmm. but that it is not safe. If it's just exactly. on, on you, right? Yeah, if it's not safe, then, then you build up positive pressure to return home and bank it, right? Bank yeah. it progress over time, which can be really cool. So yeah, I, I do want to try that. I don't know, if, you know, full disclaimer, who knows if that's going to stick, but... Uh, yeah, this is literally just like a random conversation. Yeah, yeah, it's gotta, like, yeah, because that's what's happening for the rest of the game and, <laughs> yeah, and all that, yeah. Um, but it's, yeah, yeah. It's, 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 it's a constant thing we always talk about with crafting games is like, how do you deal with inventory? And I just, I honestly just don't think, I think it's been in some context done like okay enough, but it, always there's a point like the the reason I play Valheim anymore is because like once you get into Too like the iron tier basically, it just feels like the only thing I'm fucking doing is managing inventory. Like I go out for two seconds and I'm like, oh now my inventory is full, right? And then I come back home <laughs> and then and then I'm like, okay, now I've I've got literally like 30 chests, right? All filled yeah, which to the brim one, with stuff. Yeah. Which one do I it's just uh it's just a cognitive nightmare. Well, it's weird, right? Because like craft crafting games, survival games, like they're about stuff. Yeah. They're about the collection and conversion of stuff. But then- yeah. Yeah. And, and all, all of them do a lot of work to give you just tons of different kinds of stuff, mm-hmm. all kinds of stuff that does all kinds of things, just piles of stuff, millions and millions of pounds of stuff. And none of them really go out of their way to make it so that you don't so that having more stuff isn't a problem. Yep. Right? Like getting stuff is supposed to be a positive thing because that's the whole point of one of these kinds of games. Mm-hmm. I think part is of it, it is right? because of where these things show up as far as how they hit a player emotionally, which is like, so actually to your point, you were like, oh, like as far as like actually the game experience, the playing of the game moment to moment, it's actually nailing it currently. Questions too. Mm-hmm. Like, yeah, explore. it's just, it's fun to go out in the world and just yeah. fight things and harvest things. The reality is that if you're nail, if you're actually nailing one of these emotional experiences that people can have, it is, it's actually rare enough that by and large, what that means is that you can, you can kind of get away with like, you can just stop there. You just stop. You get away You'd with like, like, sure. Stuff. Yeah. Like the, the, uh, the, the part when you're at your home base, uh, that, that part sucks, yeah, but, but like, like it's fun player, enough to be out in the world. Yeah. You'll, you'll pay your taxes. You know what I mean? Well, that's, yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> yeah. And, that's, and, that, and that's exactly it. It's like the reason I played like games like Terraria and like Valheim, as long as I did was because the rest of the game was so compelling yep. and so much fun that I could put up with, I could put up with how shitty the re- that part was longer, right? Mm-hmm. But there still always comes a point, and where that is is going to depend on the person and, and all that, right? Yep. But there always comes a point where that part sucks so much that it just overwhelms. And, that, and, that, and that's kind of shitty, right? Because that means that, that, that my end experience of all these crafting games is getting tired. <laughs> just being yeah. tired. Yeah, and I'm just like, <laughs> I don't want to do this anymore. I'm just doing yeah. chores now, right? And so then, like, that's what I leave the game with. And so, like, with Volheim, yeah. like, when I think about Volheim now, I used to, like, for the first, like, literally 30 hours of gameplay or whatever, I was always so excited. Like, I couldn't wait to get back in, like, figure out the next thing or do get to the next place, you know. And then and then there came a point at, like, hour 45 or 50 or something where where if my wife was like, hey, do you want to play, should we play Volheim? They're like, I would actually have a sense of dread. Like, that was the <laughs> emotional response I had, right? Which Yeah, because you, if you haven't, especially good. if you haven't played a, one of those games in a while. You come yeah. back to your save and you open up your, you go into your it's base worse. and it's just like, yeah, 
It's just like 30 chests. Yeah. It's like, what? Well, what yeah, am I now, doing? And now you're What's like farming stuff too. So now it's like, now you have a whole system where it's like, oh no, we have like our farms where we're currently growing carrots. Like, what are we growing carrots for? And it's like, oh, probably to make some stews or something. <laughs> so it's like, it's like, do I need to <laughs> harvest all these reason. carrots? And you're like, oh, well, if I've harvested these carrots, now I got to go replant, replant some, some more seeds, stuff. You know? So like, yeah. Now, all the, yeah, like just the sheer amount of stuff becomes overwhelming over time. It just becomes, uh, yeah, it goes from like, fun world exploration simulator to just ever increasing chores simulator. <laughs> I guess in a way it very much like simulates the journey through life, you know, like yeah, but at the, the beginning, point of games you is know, to escape that though. You well, know? Yeah, every, at the beginning everything is new and exciting and you're just out in the world, you're just happy to be here but mm-hmm. then over time you just have chores, more and more chores, just yeah. land on your place. You suck the, the life out of you. you know? <laughs> yep. Yeah, I think that so there's a real question. Yeah, there's a real question, which is like, okay, so basically what you're saying is that you could not invest in this at all. And just be like, yeah, the UI is kind of weird and wacky and like whatever, deal with it. But the core experience mm-hmm. is good enough. So so why choose to invest? And I think the important thing is because, one, because no one else does, which means that if you deliver on an experience like that, uh, then it has it'll have enough of actually a charged a different feel to it, an importantly different feel that I think imparts a bit of sort of unique magic to it. But two, I think it's more important, which is that uh, you don't know what's on the other side of solving the stupid inventory problem. What I mean by that is certain design things can't happen. They just cannot happen until a particular foundational shift occurs within the game. So it might be like, yeah, I mean, it may look a little silly to invest in this thing that like people can deal with, but there might be some piece beyond it that uh, is actually, it's actually basically groundwork. Solving that problem is groundwork for enabling that actually makes the overall emotional experience so much more interesting and, and layered and you know, even like just better. And you, unfortunately, oftentimes you cannot see these things until you get the damn boulder, in this case, you know, inventory management, cognitive overload out of the way. And then these other things start opening up in really spectacular ways. Mm-hmm. That's why. Well, yeah, but also there is a, there's a framing piece of this too, which is that it's really easy. It's like the way that the way that you said it just now was like, well, we nailed the core experience. So who cares about this other piece, mm-hmm. right? Um, it's very easy as a developer to think about like one part of your game as like the gameplay. Yeah. And then this other yeah. part of your game as not the gameplay. It's just some other thing that's happening, right? Um, but both of them influence each other a ton, like Sam mm-hmm. is saying. And so if you... If you stop thinking about like what is the core experience of the game and how do we deliver on that, instead of just instead just say like what is just the experience of the game? I mean, this <laughs> like, goes, what is it like to play the game overall? Yeah, and are there parts that suck? This goes back to our discussion you know? last week about the work experience, right? Yes, and about the problem of focusing on if if you believe that your work is like I'm a programmer, so my work is hitting keyboard keys to cause code to exist, and that's like and that's it, right? And so everything else is not the work that's the stuff that's in the way or stuff that's to get done first or whatever and you yeah. don't you don't, and you don't think have to of worry yourself. about spending time improving those things because that's not the core experience. It's a waste of time because <laughs> yeah it's not the core experience right and, yeah. and but that's including like all the things that go into like checking your email doing all of the how do how do you tell somebody else you need help from them right like mm-hmm. all of those little components that make up your overall work experience it's the same deal with playing games it's like mm-hmm. those are all central because if anything is bad it just contaminates and fucks with all of the rest of yeah. it. Yeah, and you hear that a lot. People are like, oh, man, I love working here, but like we use Jira for task management and it makes me want to fucking die. And it's like, well, yep. that's kind of a big part of the whole thing. You know what I mean? Yeah. What Managing happen? tasks is that's what 
That's that's what that's what work is. Yeah. <laughs> so like, what do you, maybe take a second, check it out. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So it's all the same. And like that, yeah, that philosophy of how we try to design our work life and our work and everything else, like that does cascade into how we try to think about our game designs, which is we, everything influences everything. And if you just flat out ignore one piece of it, um, then like Sam said, you don't know what's actually on the other side mm-hmm. once you fix that problem and a whole new world opens up. What is that world? I don't, I have no idea. Mm-hmm. That's the whole point. You yep. just, you got to do it. So that's all the time we have for this week. Uh, we'd like to thank our producers, Fat Bard and Jen Coster for putting the podcast together. And thanks to our community moderators who keep our Discord running. To get more involved in the Butterscotch community, just go to podcast.bscotch.net, where we have links to the Discord, a way for you to donate, and links to the archives. Thank you all for listening, and we'll see you next week. Goodbye.